It is often said that a language is given us or made to communicate with whom and about what. And in fact, the problem is, is a language primarily a means of communication? <laughs> That's maybe a technical point, but I don't think it is. Most of us don't spend the greatest part of our life speaking. But we spend a lot of time thinking without speaking. And we cannot think without our language. And we don't communicate with anybody at all at that time. Which means that language is going into our inner self much more than we think and that we believe. And it is not only in existence to give us the means of getting, of saying, uh, pass me the butter, or anything you like, in that line. Per Dennis of the University of Rennes, president of the Breton branch of the Celtic Congress, was speaking there at this year's meeting of the Congress, held at the end of July in the University College of Wales in Aberystwyth. The theme of the Congress was communication, or the media in the Celtic countries. And it's one of the ironies of the linguistic development of those countries that communication between them nowadays generally takes place through the language of one or other of the two imperialist powers which sought to suppress them in the past. Perdenes drew attention to the fact that the Celtic languages on the western fringes of Europe survive, if they have survived, in a constantly changing environment. The traditional language was linked to a traditional way of life, generally to life in the countryside. That is no longer so in Brittany. I remember in my younger days seeing the farmer's wife going every evening to collect the eggs from under the eggs and wondering whether there would be any because it seemed that in those days the hens had their seasons. <laughs> I remember another old lady, farmer's wife, walking every Saturday morning four kilometers with two big baskets to get on the train to come to the market in red. And she would sell the produce of those two big baskets and go back home by train and walk back her four kilometers. Now what is common between those farmers and that is not so far away after all and the farmers who one month ago exactly dumped and destroyed in Saint-Brieuc nine million eggs. They destroyed nine million eggs because they could not sell them. There is absolutely nothing common between the farmers of 25 years ago in Brittany and the farmers of today. We have in Brittany, I don't know whether it is for good or bad, the three biggest slaughterhouses for poultry 
in Europe. And I think that between themselves they kill one million hens a day, export them to Saudi Arabia. And those farmers, which are so different for the, from the farmers of the old days, well, there will be, that is the planning, there will be 300,000 in 10 years' time in Brittany out of a population of three million and a half. What is the traditional Breton language, the traditional language of the countryside to those people? Perdenes answered his own question by saying that the language of the 20th century was the language of the cities, and that as far as Brittany was concerned, it was in the cities and the towns that the language battle would be won or lost. When I say the language of the cities, I mean the language of the 20th century, which means that we have to work on it from a linguistic point of view, to create the necessary vocabulary and you don't need to travel a long way in Wales to see that the Welsh people have been doing much on that line, seeing all the road signs and directions and everything in Welsh. And there comes the problem of bilingualism. We are always thinking in terms of bilingualism. Well, it depends what is meant by bilingualism. If it is speaking one or the other language, according to the person you meet, that's all right. But if it is selective bilingualism, meaning that some subjects are exclusively dealt in, dealt with, in English, and other subjects exclusively dealt with in Breton or Welsh or Irish. And those will be the everyday life subjects. Well, this bilingualism, this type of bilingualism is taking us straight to our death. Because modern vocabulary will take up our languages more and more. And young children today discuss about electronics while it was a restricted subject to the scientists only 10 years ago. Circumstances vary in each of the Celtic countries, and as far as the use of the media is concerned, it would be difficult to compare Brittany with, for example, Wales, where the strength of the language lies not only in the numbers of Welsh speakers, but in the backup forces like radio and television. Owen Edwards, director of Channel Pedward Cymru, the recently established Welsh Fourth Channel television station, spoke at the Celtic Congress in Aberystwyth of the setting up of the Welsh language channel. The omens were present after the BBC in the latter half of the 70s, last decade, boldly and successfully launched Radio Cymru a service of 60 hours of programmes in Welsh which we now take for granted as part of our everyday life. And that has been a great success story from which one was able to move ahead 
uh, and move towards the concept of a Welsh language television service, however one defines a service, because Shana Pedwartamri is not, of course, uh, a fully Welsh language service. At the same time, in the latter part of the 70s, despite recommendations by successive government committees of inquiry, weighty government committees of inquiry, such as uh, Crawford and Allen, both of which found strongly in favour of the fourth network as a way of solving the problem of bilingual broadcasting in Wales, particularly where the indigenous language, as it is here, is in a minority. Despite the fact that uh, these committees of inquiry came out in favour of putting Welsh language on the fourth network in Wales and developing the number of programmes, the then government, the then Labour government, stalled by using the, the classic delaying ta- tactic of establishing not one, but two working parties, um, Cybre and Littler. Both those, in essence, produced similar blueprints of how the single-channel solution, as we call it, uh, should work as a means of meeting the different needs, both of non-Welsh speakers and Welsh speakers. I think it is important to stress that S-Pedorek, S4C, is a solution which brings benefits to all of us as Welshmen and not just to those of us who speak Welsh. S-Pedorek offered... I believe the only hope of bringing peace and harmony to our nation in the bitterly contested and all-powerful area of television. Because to the non-Welsh speaker, and this is where what I call deal comes in, to the non-Welsh speaker, it did mean the removal of the Welsh programmes to another channel uh, from the two most watched networks. Uh, The non-Welsh speakers felt irritated and frustrated, and they are very much in the majority in Wales, of course, as you know, uh, felt irritated because not only there were programs going out on BBC Wales and HTV Wales in a language they did not understand, that irritated them, but even more, those programs going out, let's say, at 7 o'clock in the evening, as heavy was, displaced programs in English which the non-Welsh speaker knew that they would be able to view and listen to, but for the fact that there were Welsh programs there. Now, BBC Wales and HTV Wales have become all English language services, able to devote more time to offering more programs in English, specifically specifically catering for the non-Welsh-speaking majority audience. And, of course, to the Welsh speaker, S. Pedorek heralded the dawn of a new era, more programs, better programs in Welsh, and better timings of transmission for those programs. And the three factors are very important. There is a tendency in Wales that we just count the number of hours. It's not just the number of hours what's in those hours, the quality of the programs and where those programs are placed, that they must be as they are now at hours which are convenient to the majority of people to view. I think it's fair to recall, particularly here in Aberystwyth, that not every Welsh speaker by far was in favour of putting all Welsh programs on the same channel. The establishment of the Welsh Fourth Channel seems to have been one of the most successful efforts in harnessing the powerful television medium on behalf of the ancestral language in a Celtic country. Why it should have been so successful was a question we put to Dr Erwin Price, educationalist and president of the Welsh branch of the Celtic Congress. To begin with, when it actually arrived, I think everybody felt... Uh, very pleased and gratified because it was something that had come as a result of very fervent campaigning 
not only by uh, small minority um, so-called extremist groups, although they played their part too, uh, but also by a large block of moderate, uh, normally moderate uh, opinion, uh, middle-of-the-road pe- Welsh-speaking people who really felt that we had been deprived too long of our rights in using Welsh in the media. And I think, in fact, this was the very thing which um, it was officially stated by the Secretary of State for Wales that this was the very factor which caused the government in the end to change its mind and uh, grant us the, the fourth channel. In other words, governments do give way to pressure. They certainly did in this case, and not only did they, but they said that they did, they admitted it. Now, Welsh-speaking Wales, I gather, is really bilingual. You you find very few monoglots. That's really a thing of the past, monoglot Welsh speakers, yes. Now, is that going in the direction of monolingualism? In other words, will, uh, will it work against Welsh in the end? Well, that is a very real danger in bilingual communities where uh, one of the languages is a dominant world language and the second language becomes a minority language in its own territory, like Welsh. Um, People always fear that the bilingual period then is going to be a period of transition towards, as you say, monolingualism, which would then be English monolingualism. Um, We must always be aware of this danger Uh, But I think that there are certain factors in the Welsh situation which will, I hope, help to safeguard safeguard us against this. Um, Where you have certain institutions uh, and certain spheres of life, certain domains of society where the Welsh language is used as a medium purposefully and is chosen to be used by sectors of the population, I think... um, that this helps to give a a meaning to the use of Welsh so that it it doesn't become something artificial that we keep up just for the sake of keeping it up, but simply because people want to use it as a natural vehicle. Now, we do have this in Wales. I think any foreigner coming into into Welsh Wales uh, will pretty soon become aware of this, the demand for it, the natural use of it in certain Welsh communities. And moreover, we have beyond that, and I think this is a very real bulwark Uh, and a great help to the natural Welsh speakers, we have a growing number of people from the already anglicised parts of Wales who want to recover the language. Now, this is a growing movement. I'm aware of it, for example, in the town where I live, in Swansea, in South Wales, which has become very anglicised, and there are large numbers of Welsh learners, as we call them, who have learnt Welsh and seek the opportunity to use it as much as possible. Ireland, like Wales, as we've heard, has both its native speakers and a fair number of people who learn the national language. Would it not then be reasonable to expect an Irish-language television channel to do as well as the new Welsh channel? Owen Edwards had something to say on that point. Barn, the leading Welsh-language monthly publication, stated in a recent issue that, and I quote, S. Pedorek has won its place in fair competition and has restored confidence and pride in the resources and abilities of the Welsh. It is an indispensable institution. It has come to stay. Not my words, the words of Byron. Now, you can tell me better than I can tell you, but I perceive that the value and aim of the Celtic Congress is that you should benefit from each other's experiences, and I hope that Shana Pedwar Cymru will inspire others to seek the answer that is valid and relevant to their particular need. 
And there's no use thinking in terms of moving Shana Pedar Khamri to another Celtic country and saying it will work in the same way. Shana Pedar Khamri only works in Wales because there was over 15 years a strong, consistent, insistent demand for it and for a better deal for the Welsh language on television. But there are elements of Shana Pedar Khamri and the lessons uh, of its first nine months that I'm sure are relevant to other Celtic countries. Above all, I hope that the experience of Shana Pedar Khamri during the past nine months will provide us all from whichever Celtic nation we hail with that prerequisite to success, which has been lacking in most of our nations in the past, the confidence to believe in ourselves and then to believe that television can be an ally and not an enemy to our cultural, ethnic and linguistic needs, provided we perceive our goal clearly and have the vision and perseverance to turn our dreams into a reality and, of course, last but not least, particularly in Cardinalshire, that we have adequate financial resources to fulfil the task. Ireland is the only one of the Celtic nations with its own sovereign state to back up the ancestral language, which is not the same as saying that the state always gives the support it might. The Welsh under a United Kingdom government seem to do best as far as radio and television are concerned. The Bretons under a French government seem to fare worst. True, there have been some concessions in recent years, but the allocation of broadcasting time to the Breton language is still far from satisfactory. Dr. Perdene is again. Up to a few months ago, we had a broadcasting station in Rennes, and it covered the whole of Brittany, and even a little bit over Brittany. And now we have a station in Kemper, and it covers only what is called the Breton-speaking region. It is not; it does not cover now the whole of Brittany. It is splitting up the country which is already split by the administrative division which puts a third of our territory, almost a third of our territory, outside Britain. Sorry, not a third, a fifth of our territory. So in Kemper, in uh, RBO, as it is called, we have about five hours broadcast in Breton a week. Uh, I have been... There are two problems, you see, about that. There is a problem about the more restricted areas in which the broadcast may be heard. And there is another problem, which is the problem of the broadcasters themselves, Mr. Rowan Edwards yesterday said that Welsh Radio and TV had done a lot towards unifying the language. Well, the same cannot be said about Breton Radio today because usually they insist on speaking di- dialect and not unified Breton. More than once I have been uh, meeting the head, the man who was head of Breton TV and radio up to two months ago, 
a man by the name of Mr. Couvent. And when we were asking for more Breton, he was always speaking about percentages. He said, I have uh, such a number of hours at my disposal. The percentage of Breton speakers is so-and-so. I don't know how he did know himself. And so uh, I think I am over generous in giving half an hour a week. Well, that was understood perfectly well by the Welsh people. 10% of a radio or TV service is no more useful than 10% of a motor car. What can you do with 10% of a motor car? <coughs> Maybe put it in your best room with the window which opens up on the street to show that you are beginning having a motor car. <laughs> and I suppose that is, that is the use of our few minutes of Breton on radio. It is window dressing. It is to show, well, to tell people we give you something, and especially to tell the, the people outside the sacred hexagon that France is very generous towards the small people which God entrusted to her. In Brittany, at least, the language is still spoken over a wide area. In the Isle of Man and Cornwall, the native language now survives only among the few dedicated people who have learned it. The Isle of Man has a limited degree of administrative independence, and the Manx Gaelic gets a limited degree of recognition. But Cornwall, though also within the United Kingdom, is different, as Ken George told us. Officially, the language has no recognition at all. Uh, when compared, for example, with Welsh, um, there are road signs on the border with England. These are bilingual, but they had to be paid for by the Cornish Gorseth. That is the official body in Cornwall, the county council, so-called, would not pay for these signs themselves. Uh, Cornish is not recognised as a subject within the school curriculum, although it is taught in about seven schools. It has to be taught outside the normal teaching hours, that is to say during the dinner hour and after school. Now, how about uh, recognition on radio and television, programmes in Cornish or Cornish culture in any shape or form? On television, on the commercial network, we had a programme called Dres and Tamar, uh, across the Tamar, which went out last year and did include about three minutes of Cornish in it. Just brief introduction to simple phrases and the like. Also, this year, we have had set up Radio Cornwall, which is a local radio station run by the BBC, but it tends to reflect the attitude of the central establishment. 
that is London, rather than the peripheral culture of Cornwall. It, so far, has given three minutes of so-called Cornish lesson to Cornish every week, repeated twice. And this is not a broadcast in Cornish, it's people in, again introducing simple phrases. This is all they have seen fit to do so far. And has that been a success, what you have got? Has it had an, any impact? Yes, because we, it had to be backed up with information sheets. Anyone who was interested, who became interested in Cornish through these very brief three-minute broadcasts, were invited to write for an information sheet. And more people have done this than expected. So we expect and hope that there will be more people, for example, joining the evening classes this September as a result. Well, apart from the language itself, is there much of interest uh, about Cornish history, archaeology, anything like that? Again, the difficulty is very little is taught in schools because most of the teachers are English. There is no preferential treatment given when teachers are appointed to teachers from Cornwall. And therefore, most of the teachers are from England and are therefore quite ignorant of Cornish culture. It is not so much a question of bias against it as complete ignorance of the history of Cornwall. One area where the culture is advancing, I feel, is in Cornish traditional dancing. Uh, this time last year there were two traditional dance groups and it looks as if next winter there are going to be four. In all the Celtic countries there are organisations which have the specific aim of promoting, preserving or reviving the national language and culture. But not all of them are equally effective in communicating their objectives to the public at large. And Coman Gaelic in Scotland corresponds to Conor Nguelia in Ireland. And its education officer is Colin Spencer. We are organised at different levels in Coman. We have a national committee and we have regional committees, and we also have uh, a number of branches, so that at various levels um, we try to get our message across uh, via the members in, at these different levels. Um, we do, uh, although we are a voluntary society, we do receive recognition from uh, the Scottish Education Department, and uh, in respect of that we receive a grant, an annual grant, which helps us to employ um, staff to carry out the work of the organisation. Now, we often hear in Ireland that the Irish language organisations are not particularly effective in getting across their message to the government. Uh, would you say that applies to yourselves as well? Well, I don't suppose, I don't, I, I don't suppose we are as efficient or as, as, as effective as we would wish to be, and I don't think we should ever be satisfied that we are effective, otherwise we become complacent. Um, if we look at the history of the common Gaelic in Scotland, say, over the last uh, 20 years, uh, a very very considerable progress has been made because uh, prior to 1967, and Coman was purely a voluntary organisation, um, but from that year onwards, uh, and increasingly, increasingly, uh, the organisation has been receiving uh, government support, both in terms of money and in terms of uh, the hearing, hearing that we get from the government, if anything of any consequence con concerning Garrick, whether it be education in schools or... 
uh, Gaelic education or whether it be, say, broadcasting, the question of, of uh, what kind of programmes and what amount of broadcasting will be done on both radio and television, uh, and education, uh, uh, Gaelic in public life, the use of Gaelic for um, road signs and in other official ways. So I would say, I mean, obviously we, we have to always uh, assume that uh, we can go further than we have gone. We must do that. But I think that we've made considerable progress in the last 20 years. Uh, I would imagine broadcasting, television and radio is one field where you have made some progress. Well, I think we have, especially within in radio. We now have two uh, radio stations based in the Highlands and Islands, uh, Radio Highlands itself, and more recently, Radio Nielan, which is uh, based in the Western Isles, uh, which broadcasts a um, considerable amount of Gaelic, particularly Radio Nielan, which is more or less a Gaelic station, only a tiny part of their broadcasting is done in English. With regard to television, we find that um, that all the companies, uh, Grampian, uh, that's a commercial company, and Scottish Television, another commercial company, and BBC, each of them do a certain amount. But what we would like to see happening is the three companies, well, the, the, the broadca British Broadcasting Corporation and the two commercial companies coming together to collaborate on putting a, a a program of Gaelic broadcasting uh, that would give a, a substantial amount of television broadcasting. Uh, certainly that they, they must not be seen to be uh, competing with each other because the, the output is so small it would be quite wasteful of effort. In Scotland, as elsewhere, there is a marked interaction between broadcasting and publishing in, in the minority language. Ian McGonnell is editorial officer of Colin and Lower Gaelic, the Gaelic Books Council in Scotland. We asked him to what extent radio and television were helpful in publicising books in Gaelic. A certain amount, particularly if it looks uh, a book of uh, majority interest, a certain amount of that, uh, the radio will have a review of it, and less often television, but a certain amount of that too. But as you know, there is so little radio and television that uh, even what they can give us is not very much with the best will in the world, because they have so few hours. There is no uh, television programme in Scotland at the moment, apart from a... 35-minute thing for children on Saturday morning, so there is no way of publicising any new book that appears between now and the time the current affairs series starts in the autumn. Uh, broadcasting in Scotland is in three, at three levels, throughout the whole of Scotland, in the Highland area and in the Highlands and Islands. Uh, Radio Nyelan has been one of the great success stories of recent years, and um, they have a slot on Tuesday evenings called Kalsanavark, uh, Anything in View, uh, which is a kind of arts land, and there's an opportunity there to uh, publicise books. And, uh, for example, a book about a uh, Lewisman who wandered all over the world, which was published recently, was featured in a complete um, issue of that programme. The whole programme is devoted to an interview with the author. So you do get that, but we could do with a lot more. About Gaelic publishing in general, Ian McConnell had this to say. As always, there are gaps, but... Uh, to answer it briefly, more books are being published now than ever before, and uh, that's certainly an advance. You, you say then it's a, in a healthy state, comparatively speaking? Uh, comparatively speaking, but only comparatively speaking. There are obviously lots of gaps still, but uh, it is growing, so in that sense it is healthy. And what kind of books are being published? Well, because um, Gaelic is so important in the educational system, there tends to be uh, a preponderance of books for children because uh, the schools need these and uh, uh, there is so little money available that a lot of it has inevitably to be challenged 
to be channeled into children's books. But there uh, is quite a range of other books too, autobiography, a certain amount, poetry, of course, which is a, a staple thing. And uh, as time goes by, more and more non-fiction prose. How about magazines, newspapers, that type of publication? There is only one all Gaelic magazine, and uh, that has been on the go solidly for 30 years, which is quite an achievement uh, by any standards, not just Gaelic standards. In addition, there are various student magazines which uh, are partially in Gaelic, and there are several of the newspapers published in the Gaelic-speaking areas which have Gaelic columns and so on, but that varies, but a certain amount most weeks. Do you find that the people of the Gaeltacht are readers, really, of books? Uh, because in Ireland, I know, it's always been said that uh, the people in the Gaeltacht do not read a lot of books. Well, certainly, uh, the number of people who can speak Gaelic is much higher than the number of people who can read it or write it. And uh, the Scottish Gaeltacht, like uh, everywhere else, has been affected by uh, the mass media, and particular television, so uh, that happens in Scotland too. Uh, but there is still, we think, quite an untapped readership, provided we can get the right kind of book to them. There's a great uh, demand for books about a particular area, about a particular island. That's what people always ask for. And if there's a book by a local author, almost no matter what it's about, it'll sell best in his own area or her own area. Are there books about the islands uh, written? Uh, not nearly enough, but there are a few, and uh, I think it's increasing. There are, of course, a lot of books in English, but we ourselves have taken a hand in this by commissioning books, and one of the books we have commissioned recently, for example, is a book on Harris by a well-known broadcaster from Harris, Finlay J. MacDonald, and I think there'll be more of this as time goes by. There's also going to be a book on Hirsch, or St. Kilda in English, which is the furthest west of all the Hebrides, 60 miles west of the outer Hebrides. What about on Clubbiaur? Has it discontinued, or what's the situation there? It did cease operations for several years, but uh, earlier this year it was uh, taken over by um, new management, as it were, and the first two books from, you might say, Clubbiaur Mark II uh, came out uh, this spring, so I hope that'll be uh, a trend back to what it was like in the 1970s when Clubbiaur was... Uh, very, very useful in, in, in providing Gaelic books. There are so few publishers that you would never afford to lose even one of them. Club Leor has done a, a wonderful job. Um, it, was one of, it was, in fact, the first major attempt to supply, uh, to produce and supply uh, books in Gaelic for all ages, from young people to uh, adults. Um, and recently it has gone out of existence. But one shouldn't be too uh, disappointed about that because... Taking the example of Club Lure, since then, other agencies have come into the field and are publishing. The publishing situation is fairly satisfactory, um, re reasonably satisfactory. We have now Gedim, which has been long established, publishing regularly, and we have a new group, Achgerd, which is based in Stornoway, which in its four years of existence has, um, now has something like 80 titles on its lists. So that's quite a good record, I would imagine. The provision of textbooks for schools and universities is one of the big problems in the Celtic countries. Also, the publication of books for children. The Welsh language, again, seems to be better off than the rest. Dr Owen Price. Our um, supply of children's books has gratifyingly grown and multiplied a lot in, in, within the last ten years. 
children are fairly well catered for now, although, of course, when we put our supplies side by side with the English book market for all ages, uh, naturally we can't compete in terms of number. But in terms of quality and appeal, I think we are competing now. As far as uh, more technical textbooks are concerned in the education field, there still are shortages. And in the designated Welsh medium schools, which are growing in number, uh, that's another hopeful sign, um, the teachers do have quite a struggle. They have to work extra hard to keep up with the demand for materials in their own subject areas. But that is being met gradually. We still a way to go. What about general reading? for young people and adults as well. Yes, well, obviously, we don't have nearly as much as there is available in, in English. Um, general light reading, the sort of reading for pleasure, perhaps is one of our greatest lacks at the moment. And, uh, but we do have a number of authors, particularly younger authors, who are helping to fill that gap. Is there much in the way of translation from English or from other Celtic languages... Um, there is, uh, I wouldn't say much, but there is some. There's a translation from English, from other European languages and other languages, and a little from Celtic languages now, too. We have some recent publications on the market from Breton, for example. As far as newspapers are concerned, readers of Welsh seem to be reasonably well catered for. Extraordinarily well if we think of the one-weekly paper in Irish and that under threat of imminent death. Maria Ellis is editor of a Welsh-language newspaper published in Aberystwyth. Well, it is called Arangor, the anchor, because we, um, in Aberystwyth, where this play, um, paper circulates, uh, we have a port, we're a seaside town, and we thought that name was appropriate. Now, this is one of the voluntary monthly papers, Papirai Bro, that have sprung up since uh, 1974. Uh, There are over 50 of them now. They are all produced by voluntary workers. Some are um, printed professionally and sold by by the shops and by distributors. Um, It contains local news. We... we, um, can it's find newspaper. It. it is a newspaper. It only comes out every month because obviously we couldn't get the voluntary workers to work any uh, oftener. Uh, we get lots of uh, pictures, illustrations, uh, photographs taken. We have news of people. We have little um, historical bits about the town because this is Aberystwyth and its periphery. Well, now some of them have quite large districts, about half an old county, as it were. And then they have different... Bedi Gohebwyr. Gohebwyr in different parts of the country. Um, people who send in news from different villages. Um, and they're sold for something like 20 pence each. Now, this is quite a phenomenon in Welsh now, and it means that um, a tremendous amount of people read Welsh for the first time. You could say that 250,000 people altogether read these. They don't all buy them because it goes into a home. Uh, and many they would people. would not all be newspapers either. Some of them might be magazine type. 
Uh, no, they're no. mostly newspapers Are these, uh, because we do have magazines in Welsh. Naturally, we have a vanner that comes out every week and is more or less um, um, a new statesman or a spectator, if you know those in yes. Ireland. Um, having doesn't have new hot news as it were. Comment on the news and Um, it's comments and yes commentaries Um, it's great on that and uh, reviews of the um, television um, programs and the radio programs and cartoons um, political cartoons they specialised in that then we have a weekly newspaper a camera which is has quite a good circulation is read widely but there are tremendous amount of Welsh people who don't read it who don't buy it um, Are the Welsh people in fact uh, the Welsh speakers good at reading and buying um, magazines Well there's a lot so of uh, there's a lot of, of uh, way we can go for, to, uh, to, uh, to um, get more people to read them. It's extraordinary uh, because so many people re- uh, speak Welsh and then they take an excuse that they can't read. But these papyri bro have um, helped that uh, there because people will read um, what they call easy Welsh that doesn't take any um, effort on their part. They can read that. And we hope that gradually by reading these going on we have to wait for about 10 20 years until these people get used to reading welsh and then perhaps we can uh, persuade them to read books or something heavier in all of the celtic countries protests against the attitudes of the various establishments towards the minority languages are accepted as a fact of life in britain and indeed in places nearer home the protests often contain elements of farce the death of a language may be no laughing matter, but if you're a Breton in a hostile or indifferent French state, laughter may be your only refuge. The last word then to Per Denes on place names on road signs. We have been trying everything. Painting off. Painting over. Lettering over. And the last thing, taking them up and carrying them on the stairs of the government's office in Kemper. Well, nobody went into jail. There was no case, no prosecution. It seems that the government just wants to play it down. No reaction. I don't know whether there would be a reaction if if we took off all the road signs in Brittany. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, Something happened to the students of uh, the Celtic department in Rennes. Last year, they decided to go to Paris and occupy, as uh, it is said, occupy the Ministry for Education. They rented a bus, went into the bus, and they occupied. And then they found the newspapers, Paris newspaper, thinking that reporters would rush 
up to them. And they said, oh, they occupy it every day. What does it mean? <laughs> It seems, and it's the same with the education, uh, education uh, authority building in Rennes. It seems there is a first entrance, which is, well, relatively easy to open, and a bit further away, a second entrance. And that is the part which... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.